Amen. Yes, I will. I love when we sing songs of declaration. It's like we're telling our emotions how we will think and how we will live regardless of the circumstance. Yes, I will sing your praise, Lord, all my days. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this Sunday morning. I trust you're having an awesome weekend with this gorgeous weather. It is so refreshing to experience that. You know, we're gonna continue in our Lion series today. Believe it or not, we're, we're in week nine, okay? And uh, as we've been traveling through this awesome book of Daniel, we have been talking metaphorically, why we've called this Lions, about two lines of scripture. The, the lion that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, or the, the metaphor of the Lion of Judah, who his eyes run to and fro throughout the earth, seeking to show himself strong to those who are loyal to him. Well, Daniel is certainly that loyal, loyal lion, and we want to walk in, into this uncertainty, not listening to the roar of fear, but the roar of faith. And so each week we've started out with a word, you know, and, and we've leveraged that word to carry into not only the time period we're living in, but how to uh, incorporate that into our message. And our word this week is precision. Do you appreciate people of precision? Um, in, in your house, are there people that are a little more precise than others? Or are you more of a precision Pete? or a sloppy Joe, which is important to you. Precision means this, the quality, condition, or fact of being exact and accurate. Um, some people who are precise get the title perfectionist at times, but I bet you appreciate thorough people. Maybe not all the time. I know there's certain projects where I like to kind of get them done. It's like, oh my word, we don't need to be that perfect. Uh, but there's other times I really appreciate a thorough person. For example, do you Appreciate a, a doctor with precision or would you want him to be sloppy? No, you, you'd want precision to that. So I think we appreciate that word. Um, there's, a, there's an element of precision that brings confidence and assurance to us when we're feeling a little apprehensive, right? If we're like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, we appreciate precision for it speaks into our life calm, uh, I'll tell you an example by the opposite effect. If I see sloppiness in areas where I lack calm, it worries me. Uh, let me show you a picture. Does this uh, instill into you any confidence? Seeing someone duct taping the airplane engine outside your window before takeoff? Does that instill any kind of confidence in you? Is that something you appreciate seeing? Does that calm you or does that terrify you? Okay, I can think of a time. I was on a mission trip with a group of our teenagers and we were with a missionary who actually had a crop plane that they would take supplies into the villages. Well, this crop plane took off on a grass runway. I had never seen a grass runway. So even that in itself was neat. Well, it wasn't too long where he said, would a couple of you like to go take a flight? And I'm just like, oh my word, I'm not a huge fan of heights or airplanes. And I'm just like, oh my word, a crop plane. But you know what? I, I finally, I finally through enough bullying from the teenagers decided to take the flight. And I get in, sit down, look out on the wing and I see duct tape. I'm like, duct tape on the wing? And, and I'll tell you what, it didn't bring me calm 
It didn't bring me peace. It brought me terror, but I didn't have the guts to say anything about it. So I just turned into a man of prayer on that flight like never before, for I looked out and saw duct tape. Well, an experienced flyer, an experienced aircraft engineer would say, Chris, you you didn't see duct tape, nor do you see duct tape in that picture either. That's actually uh, a tape that is used called speed tape on aircrafts. It's an aluminum adhesive, and it's used to cover up certain areas where immediate attention is necessary. I, I, I just looked up a little bit of some of the characteristics of speed tape. In Finland, they actually call it Jesus tape, believe it or not because it saves you, okay? But here's some elements of speed tape. It's durable, okay? It can handle high speeds, high pressure circumstances. It's durable. Um, Second, it's flexible, okay? Um, Speed tape can expand and contract, so it's easy to put on and and deal with right away. Um, Speed tape is powerful. It can really reinforce weak areas. Speed tape is also protective, okay? Um, It reflects heat and cold, so it's a, it's a really great tape. And then speed tape is also shielding. It can protect things where they've sealed them and they want to shield it while it strengthens. So there's a lot of usage to speed tape and, and it's, whew, calm down. It's not necessarily duct tape. And any aircraft engineer would say, no, it's not duct tape. It's speed tape and it's used and it's safe and it's actually a smart tool. Maybe that's a little more precise than I originally thought. You know, as we think about words during our series, I've been thinking about words to describe certain things. I told you I turned into a man of prayer when I saw that tape. How has your prayer life been during this current circumstance? Would you say it's precise? Would you say it's sloppy? If I were to say to you, What word would you use to describe your prayer life right now? What word would come to mind? Are you a God's neat, let's eat prayer warrior? Are you a, if I remember before I go to bed? Is your prayer life marked by hurry, stability, fear, begging, What word would you use to describe your prayer life? Here's what I want to say with this. So many people have told me, when I come out of this crisis, I don't want to waste the trial. I want to grow in my faith during this time. Could there be a better thing to grow during this time than our prayer life? What word would you like to describe your prayer life following this crisis. You know, a a verse that has really guided and shaped and directed my prayer life is found in Colossians 4.2. Colossians 4.2 says this, continue, keep doing this steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I call this my duct tape prayer, my reinforcement prayer, 
my durable prayer, my flexible prayer that I use when it's times for being agile and, and, and changing decisions, protective prayer, a shielding prayer, but more importantly, more importantly, more importantly, this is the marks of a fervent prayer. And, and at the end of our sermon today, I'm gonna give you those three marks and I believe it's powerful because when you begin to realize the power of fervent prayer during times like this, you'll see the precision of it and you'll see how it can bring you calm and assurance when you're feeling a little off kilter. Would you love to grow your prayer life? Well, I believe today is an opportunity for you to do that. And so I've entitled this message, Precision Amid Prayer. It's Daniel chapter nine. He's gonna share with us the 70 weeks prophecy that so many people hear about but don't know how to put their hands or minds around it. He's gonna share with us that prophecy, but we're gonna see that he gets that prophecy after incredible precision in his prayer life, okay? So with that said, get ready to open the chapter of probably one of the most precise, thorough, awesome prayers you'll ever hear and, and, and get to learn from, I'm gonna tell you, one of my heroes of prayer, Daniel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use this message today to bless your people, but, but most importantly, Lord, inspire your people to be prayer warriors. And, and, and not, just, not just a little bit better. Let's get super strong in, in our prayer life. And Lord, I don't know how many of us have ever pondered the word precision when it has come to our prayer life, but I pray today we would not be sloppy joes as we go to the Lord in prayer, but we would be precise because we're talking to our heavenly father who dearly loves us and wants to hear from us. And the better we know how to pray, Lord, teach us to pray, the disciples cried. Lord, the better we'll experience all you have for us in prayer. Guide this today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Daniel, last time we saw him, has basically grown physically sick, okay, from seeing these visions. Remember, he said, I laid sick on my bed. I was so disturbed, but he kept this stuff to him. And so he's got all this stuff in his head and he's working through. I've seen all these beasts. I, I've seen these, these beasts colliding and attacking and I'm gathering that this is about the end times. I've got angels showing up on me and terrifying me. I'm falling over, they're reviving me. I mean, Daniel's had a lot to take in during this thing. And so far he's been very reactive. Huh, whoa, whoa, react, react, react. I can tell you as a staff, this has been a month of just react, react, react. We feel like we're entering to a month now of respond, respond, respond. So what a better time to say, okay, it's time to respond. Prayer is imperative at that time. And that's where we're gonna see Daniel. He goes, okay, I've been reacting to all this, okay? This is a lot to take in. But now that I have taken it in, it's time to respond and do so with precision. So open your text, it's Daniel chapter nine. And he says this, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ashurus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. We are gonna get 
a, a, an entrance into this chapter by talking about 70 years of prophecy. What do I mean by that? Listen to how Daniel continues. He says this, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, Daniel's been reading the Jeremiah scroll. This is the amount of years that must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, the end of the Babylonian captivity. There's an amount of years that Jeremiah has prophesied when it will end. So Daniel's like, I'm living in Babylonian captivity right now, but it's gonna end. And I've been studying this and researching this in scripture. And I see that it's 70 years. Hmm, it's interesting. There's incredible precision to the Babylonian captivity. It's not a, oh, God's not like, oh, oh, I forgot my people were in captivity right now. He didn't forget. He knows exactly what's going on. This is a time of judgment because of poor behavior, and it's going to end precisely when God says it will end. Now, now, as he read through Jeremiah, he came across Chapter 25, verses 11 through 12. Let me read them to you. It says this. This whole land will be desolation and horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. This has been predicted, Daniel, and Daniel's reading this, and he says this. Then it will be, when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon. Remember Belshazzar, punished by Cyrus? It declares, Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. So this is gonna end. So he opens the Jeremiah prophecy, and I'm kind of a visual learner. So Nebuchadnezzar in 606 BC, if you go 70 years, which understand BC, before Christ, you're counting down. When you advance, you're counting down to zero, okay? So 70 years of captivity, that would be 536, and 536 is exactly when Cyrus decreed, let's rebuild this, this city of Jerusalem. So Daniel, many believe it, 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 he got this vision approximately some 52 years after Nebuchadnezzar. So maybe around 554 BC, Daniel's reading this going, you know what? The captivity is almost over. I'm reading this and I'm seeing the captivity is almost over. The length of the desolations has almost come to the end. This city is lying in ruins for, for 70 years. It's almost come to an end. So Daniel does what Daniel does. Here's what scripture says. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Folks, get out your pens, get out your papers, grab your cell phones, open up the section called notes, get ready to write down what Daniel is about to show us in prayer. Let me give you an example. I was, um, I'm a huge North Carolina basketball fan, okay? Uh, big Michael Jordan guy from the time uh, all the way back when he was in college, okay? I'm showing my age just a little bit. And um, I had a chance to go to North Carolina on a trip. And we got into the Dean Center, all right? And there was one door open and I went in it. And I didn't really care, I went in, okay? And as I got in there, one of my favorite players on that current basketball team of that year, not Michael Jordan, but more recently, one of my favorite players, I hear a ball bouncing on the court. And I look through, I get up there, and I see 
one of my favorite players practicing. And I stood in the side because I'm gonna get a chance to watch how this young kid works. But that wasn't as exciting to me because I saw one of my favorite coaches of all time coaching that kid and that's really what I wanted to see because I look at him like a master coach and I got to watch this guy individually work with one of his players in the, in the, in the little quiet area of the Dean Center. I'm watching this, watching him work, listening to the master, just picking up on it. Young coaches out there, if you had a chance to listen in to a guy like Roy Williams coach up a guy, I mean, would you not be locked in on that? Well, all believers, you get a chance to watch Daniel, the prayer warrior, okay? You get a glimpse inside his workout routine. You get a glimpse into his prayer life. So don't miss this. You say, Chris, you took a little time to set that up? You bet, because this is massive. You're about to listen in to one of the greatest prayer warriors, in my opinion, that's ever walked the face of the earth. And he begins by turning his face to God, okay? So he's looking up or he's looking towards Jerusalem and he seeks him in prayer with pleas for mercy, with fasting. You know what that is? Denying yourself of food. Do you ever include fasting into your prayer life? Don't, don't tell me you wanna pray like Daniel if you don't copy some of the things Daniel does. And one of the things Daniel does says, I'm gonna put aside food. No food. I am going out. And then he's dressed up. He gets on sackcloth and ashes, which demonstrates mourning. See, see, here's what I want us to picture when it comes to a Daniel prayer life. It begins with zealous humility before God. He knows who he's going through. He knows who he's going to. And he knows how he's coming. How many of us, when we pray, go, oh, it's time to pray. Um, uh, let me see here. Okay, yep, I got that. All right, oh, oh, I need that. I need that. Okay, I got that. All right. Oh, sweetheart, where are you going? Oh, I'm going, I'm going to pray. What? Yeah, I'm going to pray. Oh, do you, oh, do you have your Bible? Yep, I got my Bible. All right, do you have your water? Yep. I got my water. Um, oh, do you have that? Yeah, I got my duct tape. I got my duct Okay, you got all that? You're going to pray? Yeah, okay. When do you think you'll be back? Mm, up later today. All right. I know how you love to pray. Brothers and sisters, can I confess? I don't think many of us have a prayer life like that. Unfortunately, I think for a lot of us, our prayer life is, hey God, I really need this. Help me have a good day. You know what would be great, God? If you wanna pray like Daniel, it's marked by zealous humility. Write that down. He continues, ready? I'm gonna give you characteristics as we go. I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession. So he begins with zealous humility. But then he goes and says, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He initiates with adoration, write it down. He doesn't start his prayers. I heard a young guy say one time, yo God, no, 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 no. Daniel, 
begins his prayers with adoration. The great and awesome God is who I'm talking about. He incorporates praise into his prayer. He doesn't start out with what he wants. He incorporates worship as he begins to pray. He honors the God he's talking to. He respects him and puts himself in a way that's far away. I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna sit, and I'm gonna talk to God. If someone walked in your house and they kept their coat on and their backpack on, do you think they're staying? But if they go and take their coat off, take their backpack off, sit down on the couch, do you know they're staying? You know they're staying. How many of us are taking our coat off before the Lord and saying, God, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to talk with you. Or how many of us treat God like a fast food line at Chick-fil-A? Daniel wasn't a man who whisked through his prayers. He concentrated on them. He focused. He was a prayer warrior of precision and he begins with adoration. All right, now I'm gonna let these pile up on you. So let's read the prayer and I'm just gonna pile them up. So if you're writing some of the characteristics of your prayer life, they're gonna pile up, okay? And we'll sum them up at the end. Here we go. Uh, Let's move through this now. He says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. We've turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. He unveils specifics. In your prayer life, do you unveil specifics to God? Do you say, we have sinned in this way? Um, God, I'm sorry for lying my parents. No, just go ahead. My dad taught me, just go ahead and say it. He knows it. God, forgive me, I lied to my parents and told them I was going to that store when I actually went out with that person and it was a lie and it was wrong. When you list the specific out loud to the Lord, okay, I'm not suggesting you do this with people around, but when you list the specifics, here he knows them and there's part of you goes, I need to stop doing that. Lord, you know how sometimes I cut corners. No, Lord, you know how in 2007 I cheated on my taxes, God, and that's been bothering me to this day and I gotta make it right with you. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about. We're not talking about like, yeah, you know, sometimes I mess up. No, no, in 1993, Lord, I've still been holding that self against me. I need to ask for forgiveness for that. That's a specific prayer warrior. That's Daniel. He's saying, I'm coming to you with specifics. He continues, verse seven. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but us open shame. God, you're righteous, but we belong shame. As of this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Daniel's covering everybody. And to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. He expresses remorse. It's one thing when you ask, okay, say you're sorry. Sorry. You're not expressing remorse. A a man of precise prayer expresses remorse, not only for his behavior, but the people he's associated with. He demonstrates a physical behavioral shame to what he has done. God sees that remorse. Parents, you know, you know when a little kid has remorse or not. So does God. He knows when you don't really have remorse. A precision prayer has remorse. He continues. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. He acknowledges fault in this. 
I mean, to the Lord, you belong mercy, forgiveness. Lord, you're a merciful and forgiving God. We need that for we have rebelled against you. We have done wrong. When you look at Israel, talked about a lot in the prophets, you hear this common illustration of adultery. You have cheated on God. You have chased broken cisterns instead of being faithful to God. Daniel acknowledges that his people have played a role in the circumstances they're in. Do you ever do that with God? Or are you always the victim? A precision prayer warrior doesn't go, God, how could you let this happen to me? A precision prayer warrior says, you know what? I am sure there's an aspect that I have played a massive role in the decisions that I've made that have left me where I'm at. Put that down, acknowledge his fault. Verse 11, he says, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refused to obey your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. Daniel is including himself. What, Daniel? Really, all Israel, you haven't? But Daniel's such a patriarch. He's saying, this is on me. I'm taking responsibility. I am gonna lead and intercede for my people. Dad, have you ever been like, you know what? There's pride in my home. Our our family has grown proud. I need to be on my knees before the Lord saying, I played some sort of role in this, even if you feel maybe you haven't, and go, I gotta deal with this. Daniel's a patriarch of his people. Daniel says, he has confirmed his words, he continues, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. God told us, obey or this will happen. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. No, no people have dealt with this sort of captivity except us because of what we have done. And God told us this would happen and we disobeyed. He affirms divine discipline. He's not the victim in his prayer life. He says, we played a role. Choose to sin, God tells us. Choose to suffer. We've chosen to suffer by our own disobedience. And he plays that out even further. He says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. We're walking around moping. We're not begging for you, Lord, to change our current circumstance. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. This is on us. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. He comes and seeks corporate forgiveness for his people. Have you ever prayed for your nation? Have you ever prayed for your state? Have you ever prayed for your governing rulers? Even if you feel wherever you live right now that the governing authorities are your enemy, what does scripture say to do for your enemy? Pray for them. Daniel would be on his knees right now praying for all his governing officials, praying for his nation. He wouldn't be moping and crying and yelling and screaming. He'd be 
begging the Lord for he is the one who is in control. And he knows that. Prophecy shows him that. God is a precise God. It will start when he allows it and it will end when he allows it. But he wants to use his people, Daniel knows, to be praying for God's will to be done. Daniel says, I'll own this. I'm seeking corporate forgiveness for my people. O Lord, according to all your righteousness acts, According to what I know about you, God, you are a good God. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from our city, Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those who are around us. We were the great Israelite army under David, and we're a byword. We're a laughing stock, we're a joke. He appeals. God's divine attributes. Pastors out there, teachers, leaders, are we saying, God, your church in a lot of ways has gotten off track. We've got, been doing some things that aren't important. We gotta start focusing on what is important. Forgive us, Lord. We're gonna appeal to your divine attributes. God, according to your righteous acts, turn your wrath away. God, do you, do what you do, Daniel's basically saying. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh God, I'm calling for you to be attentive to this. A precise prayer warrior he, he walks through confession, intercession, and now even he's calling for God to be attentive. Oh, how we can learn from this awesome prayer warrior. Oh my God, he says. Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. We don't deserve this but because of your great mercy. Daniel asked for immediate action by God. We know you, God, and we know you want to do this. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention. Listen to Daniel. He knows God wants to hear him. He has a massive God. Delay not, act for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. He begs God, 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 it's time to flex on everybody. It's time to show them who you are. It's time to show how awesome you are. So hear me, Lord, forgive us, Lord. Pay attention, Lord, and act. We wanna see you. And then one of the most amazing things that could ever happen to a person happened. He says, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was doing this, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight and at the time of the evening sacrifice, 
He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to you to give you insight and understanding. Whoa, whoa. Daniel is going to get his answer to prayer from Gabriel himself. People say, boy, I wish I could pray and then have God show up. Please, 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 please. Is your prayer life even remotely close to Daniel's? Before you say that, is it even remotely close? Boy, I'd like to be a professional basketball player. That'd be nice. Is your work ethic even remotely close to that of a professional athlete? Let, let's, let's keep something in mind. We can't be God's neat, let's eat. We can't be God, be my genie. God, be my Santa Claus. And expect God to answer our prayers in big ways. We can't. That, that's just not how it works. Daniel is a man who has said, no food. I'm going away. I'm getting on my knees. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to declare who he is. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to demand I change my ways. I'm going to take responsibility for the mistakes I've made. I'm going to let God thoroughly investigate my life, open up all my problems and give them to him and come to him and say, not my will. Anything you want to do, God, I completely submit to. You have me. You own me. You do what you want to do. But what I'm asking you to do, God, is this. Whatever Chris does for the rest of his life, may they see you, not me. May they see your name, not my name. May you get all the praise and all the glory for everything that my life has moving forward. Now that is the prayer life of Daniel. And that gets answered. And it gets answered quickly. And Gabriel comes to him. He says, I'm gonna give you insight and understanding because I can tell you're sick to your stomach about these visions. I am, Gabriel, I'm all messed up and I'm coming to you begging. And so at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. How? Do we ever get a glimpse into what heaven's like while we're praying? You say, oh, that would be so awesome. I think about that sometimes. What's it like when we're praying and God's hearing the prayers of the saints? You get a glimpse here in Daniel. Look at this. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Daniel's praying. A word went out in heaven. And I have come to tell it to you. For you are, wow, greatly loved, Daniel. Daniel, you're living in Babylon in captivity. All your leaders treat you like garbage. You're being thrown into lion's dens. Your circumstances are absolutely horrific. Anybody who defines the God of heaven by their circumstances would be angry at God. How could you allow me to be thrown to lions? How, how could you let me be, my friends go into a fiery furnace? How could you make me live in this horrible captivity under these ungodly rulers who, who don't have any love for you, God, and blaspheme your name and mock you and have drunken orgies and I've got to lead and minister in that kind of environment? Any other believer who defines God based on how their circumstances go, would have denied God at this time. But Daniel knew something. Daniel knew this about his God. He loves me despite what's going on in my life. And it brought Daniel not a sloppy prayer life, but precision. I know my God and where did he know him from? The word, which we all have in our homes right now. Yet we still struggle to hold our cell phone in our hand more than this. It's all right there for us. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. 
Gabriel gives him the 70 weeks vision. Here's some prophecy. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Transgression, iniquity, that's all sin. To bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. 70 weeks. God is a precise God. He's saying, here's how this is gonna go. I'm not wondering how it's gonna go, Daniel. Here's how this whole thing's gonna go. 70 weeks, scholars would be pretty much in agreement that one week equals 70 years. You can read this translation as 77s, okay? Which would be 490 years. One of the reasons this prophecy is very difficult is people have trouble understanding. What's a week? A week or a year? A year. So, so this week is symbolic of seven years or 490 years. Well, these things are, are kind of broken up for a reason. God has a specific, precise plan. Why is there 490 years? Look at this, there's sixfold reasons. The angel gave them to us. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, okay? Um, there's this aspect where we're, we're extinguishing wickedness on earth and then we're gonna bring everlasting righteousness. We're gonna seal up the visions and the prophecies, okay, which would occur in Revelation, so let's stay with this. And then anoint the most holy. The most holy is gonna get anointed through this, the son of man that we learned in earlier chapters. So we see a six-fold purpose this 490 years. We serve a precise God who knows what the future holds. That's who we pray to. But we're also gonna see as he continues that these 490 years are broken up into sections. Stay with me. This is very interesting. Watch this. The verse is this next. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word, to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. Now, before you go, all right, that's it, I'm out. Okay, I get it. Stay with me. Let me try to break it down. Okay, from the time that the word goes out to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, there shall be seven weeks, seven times seven, so, so 49 years, okay? Then for 62 weeks, it will be built again with squares and a moat, 434 years. You add those together, you get 483 years. There is a prophecy that in 483 years, from the time it goes out to restore Jerusalem, that a Messiah will come. Well, when does the prophetic clock start? It starts when the decree goes out to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, when did that happen? Well, we can look back into history and see at 445 BC, okay? There was a going out of the word to restore Jerusalem by King Artaxerxes of Persia. And who began to rebuild the wall? Nehemiah. Now, if you go 483 years from 445 BC, remember you count down on the BCs and then begin to cut count up on the ADs, okay? Before Christ, after death, okay? So 483 years, you get to 32 AD. That's when the anointed one will appear. 483 years, according to the Daniel prophecy, from the cry of that to go out. Well, what happened 32 AD? Well, in April of that year, Jesus came in on a horse for the triumphal entry, the anointed one to make atonement for sin the lamb on top of the donkey entering into Jerusalem. 
We mark these 403 years by going 483 times 360 days, which is your Jewish calendar, which equals 173,880 days. On that precise day, Jesus came into Jerusalem. So Daniel is showing us, and we can see, looking back in scripture, that 69 weeks have been completely fulfilled. But Chris, it's 70 weeks. Well, what's the last week? Well, how long's a week? Seven years, okay? So what's the last week? What's the last seven years? Next verse. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Cut off, the anointed one cut off, the death and resurrection. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Where does the prince come from? The little horn comes from Rome, okay? In AD 70, Rome destroyed Jerusalem. It is the end that shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. There is seven years to come, okay? Rome destroys Jerusalem. There's something coming from Rome, the little horn. He continues in verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Now, how long is one week? Seven years, right. And of, for half of the week, how long is half of seven years? Three and a half years. He shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. What's that? That's the desolation of the temple. The abomination of desolation. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So at the end of seven years, he's getting punished. This will end this way. Don't, don't be thinking, Daniel, you don't serve a precise God. Just as thorough as you are, Daniel, I'm even more thorough, God says. We're, we're hearing about the Antichrist. And so if you just lay out, I, this is my map. It can be argued, okay? I'm not this master, master um, prophecy guy. I don't claim to be, don't really even wanna be, just wanna understand it the best I can. That's all I can do. This is Chris's map, okay? The clock starts in Jerusalem. Daniel's right around here. There's 483 years. That's the 69 weeks. Then Messiah comes, death, resurrection, Okay? But then there's a gap in the Daniel prophecy and then a seven-year period. So what's the gap? You remember hearing Paul say in, the, in all his writings to the churches that we're a mystery? The Old Testament prophets didn't know about this mystery. What's the mystery? The church age. You, church family, you're the mystery. You're the gap. I'm hoping this is present day. This is Chris' present day. I'm ready, I'm ready for the rapture, okay? I'm ready to get out of here. But, but I believe, okay, teaching in 1 Thessalonians as well as leading, reading a literal approach to Revelation, a literal historical grammatical approach, I believe that the tribulation part, that 70th week, will begin at the blessed hope, the rapture. Us believers in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've called upon his name. Woo! And then this tribulation begins. For three and a half years until the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist will look like the hero on earth and he's gonna turn. At the end of those 70th week, at the end of the tribulation is Armageddon. You can read about this and study this in our Revelation series. We did this last fall, but this is your second coming. 
and then a millennial period of a thousand years in chapters 20 of Revelation before the great white throne judgment at the last judgment and then finally the new heavens and new earth. We have walked through this in our Revelation series. You could check out on all of our website and information that's archived if you'd like to study this in depth. But here are your 70 weeks, the 69 that has already been decreed, prophesied and come to pass, the gap, what's the gap? Us, and then the tribulation, the 70th week makes the 490 years. We serve a precise God. We serve an awesome God. I promised I'd sum up Daniel's prayer, okay? Because that was a lot. Are you kind of reeling? Here's, here's a lot of the aspects of his prayer. I broke them down to four sections. And I'm gonna encourage you this week. Let's move into our application here in our final minutes. I want you to add adoration to your prayers. They're marked by zealous humility. Maybe you need to get away somewhere. Maybe you need to fast. Fasting is abstaining from food for the purpose of concentrating or focusing on something else. But you can fast from other things. You can do a cell phone fast. That might actually do you better than a food fast. Get away with the Lord, uninterrupted time. Initiate it with adoration. He praises God. Don't start your prayers with God, here's what I need. Start with God, here's who you are. He appealed to God's divine attributes. Tell God what you love about him. Then he went on to confession. I don't even want to ask for anything unless I've come clean before God. God, God, I'm going to unveil the specifics in my life that I know I've done wrong. God, I'm going to express remorse for them. I'm not going to bargain with you because I'll fail all the bargains. Have you ever told God what you're going to do? Don't bargain with him. Just say, Lord, forgive me. I was wrong. I'm discouraged that I was wrong. I need your grace right now. He is a grace-giving God. Acknowledge the fault. Then move to intercession. Do you pray for anyone else but yourself? Do you have an intercession start of your prayer or a time period in your prayer where you go, I'm just gonna be praying for other people right now. It includes personal responsibility. It affirms divine discipline. Lord, look, look, I probably brought a lot of this on me, God. But I wanna fix it. I don't wanna just, I don't wanna just deal with it. I wanna fix it. It seeks corporate forgiveness. And then it petitions, it pleads for mercy, it calls for God's attentiveness, it requests immediate action. The, the, the prayer life of Daniel believes God wants to act for him. Describe your prayer life in one word. One word. And whatever that word is right now, you give that word over to God. And you say, God, I'm coming into this virus, to this situation, but I'm not gonna waste this trial. My prayer life would be marked by fast, quick, hurry up, only ask for this. God's neat, let's eat type of prayer life or this one. Um, God, help me have a good day. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Lord, I have been sloppy Joe with my prayer life and I'm gonna use this time period when I have some extra time in my schedule to become a prayer warrior of precision. I promised you three aspects. Three aspects, three marks to fervent prayer. You want to become a fervent prayer warrior? Three marks. Here's the first one. Continue, ready? I'm going to rip this off. Steadfastly, okay? Continue steadfastly. What does that carry the idea? 
that this is going to be persistent and it's gonna be often. I'm I'm gonna say that this table has something that I, it concerns me in my life. You got something that concerns you in your life? You got a worry? This table's my worry. This table, you know what? I'm gonna do even better. I'm gonna do this chair. This chair concerns me. I'm afraid it's gonna fall. So I'm gonna pray steadfastly. I'm gonna be earnest, okay? So here's what earnest looks like, okay? I'm concerned about that leg, all right? I'm gonna pray for that leg. I'm gonna, you know what? This front leg has me a little worried. I'm gonna do this. And then I'm gonna wake up Monday, I'm gonna wake up Monday and then I'm gonna wake up Tuesday and I'm gonna wake up Wednesday and I'm just gonna keep, keep coming because I am going to earnestly pray for this chair. I'm not gonna worry about this chair. I'm gonna earnestly pray for this chair. And, the, and then it, it says not only do it continually and often, but being watchful in it. That carries the idea of vigilance, which means specifics. That's this. You know what? That leg right there. Here's the difference. God, be with this chair. Let's say this chair is your child. God, be with my child. No, no, no. What specifically do you want God to do with your child? I had teenagers when I was a youth pastor say, um, I got a prayer request. Okay, yeah. Um, would you pray with my grandma? She's not, she's not feeling well. And, and don't let this sound callous, okay? But I would say to the teen this. Why? What do you mean? Why do you want me to pray for her? Well, she gets better. Well, what if God wants her to walk through this trial and learn something? Oh, what if God wants you to learn something as you pray for your grandma? What if God's using this in your life to get you to pray more and talk to him more? Because God's not just interested in the result of your prayer, child of God. He's interested in the process. So what would you like me to pray for your grandma? Um, would you pray that... Um, I could encourage her during this time. How are you gonna encourage her? Um, 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 I'm gonna write her cards. Okay, I'm gonna pray this. God, would you give this teenager encouragement to write her grandma a card every week while she's feeling sick? Now that is not only a prayer that's specific. That's going, here it is, right here, God. I'm praying right here for that section. That's a vigilant prayer. And then finally, with thanksgiving. Man, this gets missed so much in prayer conversation. A fervent prayer is expectant. God, I'm coming every day. I've got concerned about these legs. I'm coming every day. I'm gonna tighten them up. We're concerned about this front leg specifically, God. Okay, God, we're concerned vigilantly. We wanna pray especially for that front leg, God. So we're especially praying here. We want you to really, really work in that that front leg. Um, and, and God, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray expecting you to deliver. We know you're gonna deliver, God. We have expectant fervent prayer. We are gonna pray like it depends on us, but we are gonna trust like it depends on you. And we give you this chair, God. We're not worried about it anymore because we've bathed it in prayer. That's the earnest prayer life. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Here's your three characteristics I want you to add to your prayer life. God, I wanna be earnest, I wanna be vigilant, and I wanna be expectant. I wanna come to you like Daniel, and I'm ready to be a person of precision in my prayer life. God, get ready, 
because I'm coming to you for what I have been worried about. I'm coming to you for that teenager in my life. I'm coming to you for my grandma. I'm coming to you for my unsaved dad. I'm gonna be starting to pray that he not only hears about you, that he listens to the video I send him on prayer. I have a specific prayer, God. How awesome if we have a church family that becomes precision prayer warriors through this. This week, you go to prayer. I want you to do it a whole different way. Don't you dare just give God a 30-second prayer, although I would encourage you to continue to do that. Say, God, you're getting me this week for more than you name how much time. I'm sitting down, I'm taking off my coat, I'm pulling up a chair, and I'm gonna pray like Daniel. Thank you, Lord, that we can learn from the best. Lord, thank you that we can learn from this man of prayer, this man who knew his God, knew what his God would want. And then, Lord, to see you answer his prayer with the precision of prophecy, we, lo- we know, Lord, you give prophecy because you want us to be assured of how this ends. At the end of that last seven years, Christ will come, demolish Antichrist forces and become the victor and reign in his kingdom forever. You want Daniel to know just as precise as you were with the first 69 weeks, you will be just as precise with the seventh, 70th week. For you're a God of precision. You are not fooled by this circumstance. You are not surprised by our current uncertainty. And the same God that Daniel prayed to is the same God I can pray to during this time. God, I pray for our church family, you would raise up within it a few Daniel prayer warriors. Even if we get one, we've accomplished something. But Lord, specifically as the pastor of this church, may I move towards being more of a Daniel prayer warrior. May our pastoral staff become more Daniels of prayer. May our teachers, may our kids workers, may we become more like Daniel in our prayers. For Lord, I believe you have a massive revival growing in our nation and we are going to see coming out of this crisis one of the greatest acts of you ever by calling so many people to you And so, Lord, if there's anyone sitting in their room right now, I pray they would desire to join that revival. And their first prayer would be, God, would you come into my life and be my savior? I need you, Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, I pray even right now, someone would call upon his name and let maybe someone at our church know how we can help them grow through that decision. Thank you, Lord, for this testimony. Thank you for this illustration. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Enjoy this beautiful weather. We look forward to being together, but we pray with anticipation God will continue to use this time to bless you in your homes. Have a great day.